This Irish man stands with America. This is Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn on the Blaze Radio Network. Hello, America. Thank you so much for tuning in today. This, of course, is the show where you come for the accent and you stay for the principles. And today we're not going to have some Frenchy French accent because this is Independence Day. This is awesome. This is such a big big weekend show for you. The reason that it is big is because, as you know, I've been trying to do a speaking tour over there. The reason that this year is so big is because this is the 400th anniversary of your pilgrims, of your settlers coming over, taking that amazing journey and embarking on a new journey that the world would later become America. But also it's big because of what coronavirus has done. We have all of a sudden seen governments in America, it's been slightly better, different, but in around the world where there is fundamentally no limits on power. And America is the only country in the history of the world to say there is a limit, that government's role is fundamentally different. And today we're going to do a massive deep dive, and I'm so excited to, to talk to you about what you know I'm passionate about, the Declaration of Independence, America's mission statement, America's statement that says we are fundamentally different to every other nation, and it is amazing. But every other nation can follow us. And I'm joined, I'm not going to just hear from me today, you're not going to hear from just an Irishman. You're going to hear from one of the leading constitutional experts. Everywhere I go speak, I always get asked the same question. Do you know who Chris Ann Hall is? You should talk to her. She's she's so good. She does what you do. She teaches her the Constitution. She's the closest person that I know of that would have as much passion about America's founding documents that you do. And it's so awesome to have you join us. Thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, it's my pleasure. Um, always great to be in the presence of another liberty lover. <laughs> Absolutely. And I, boy, do I love your documents. I might come across in the air that we've got together today. So 245 years ago, something happened. A group of 56 guys who had every, everything to lose and really nothing to gain for themselves personally got around and said a few things they didn't like. And all of a sudden, largely because of Thomas Jefferson, the Declaration of Independence was written. And for me, it changed the world because it literally changed everything we know about man's relationship with man and man's relationship with government. To you, what does the Declaration of Independence mean? Well, you know, it's interesting because the history of our independence here is not actually taught accurately. Uh, not in America, not around the world. Our Independence Day is not July 4th. Legally speaking, our Independence Day is July 2nd. Uh, July oh, I 2nd. love you already. <laughs> <laughs> July 2nd is the day where our Continental Congress met together. Uh, they debated and voted and uh, they debated, voted and ratified a resolution called the Lee Resolution, which was proposed before the Continental Congress on June 7th. And on June 7th, when Richard Henry Lee proposed this three-step process, legal process, by the way, to become independent from Great Britain, they didn't have enough votes at that time to get it passed. So they tabled it enough uh, for long enough to get the information out, to get the people together. And on July 2nd, they debated the Lee resolution, which is a three-step process to declaring independence. Uh, step number one, uh, we are independent which that declaration is actually contained in the last paragraph of the Declaration of Independence, but actually uh, the principle upon which it is formed is based in the first paragraph. So uh, the Declaration of Independence, as you read the last paragraph of the Declaration of Independence, shows that it was not the day that we became independent, but the day that we decided to, to uh, publish and declare what we had done on July 2nd. 
So the first paragraph, the first resolution of the Lee resolution was, we are independent. Recognizing as the first statements of the Declaration of Independence say that we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal and endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights. So in the Lee resolution, the first paragraph states we're independent by the nature of who we are. We don't have to seek permission from the king, from parliament to be independent because we're born that way. And the Declaration of Independence states we don't need to ask permission. We are simply stepping up and declaring what is already ours. The second uh, provision of the Lee resolution was that we must get foreign alliance because we don't have the resources or the manpower to kick Great Britain, the largest government in the world at the time, off a land they claim to be their own. And then the third provision of the Lee resolution is that we must immediately uh, draft and engage in a confederation of the states. And what I like to tell people is we need to be very clear that it was a confederation and not a consolidation. And the difference is very important. And that's contained in about a 75-minute class that I teach uh, called State Sovereignty. And so a confederation is not a, 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 an ag a conglomeration, but a union of separate, independent, sovereign governments. And so that's how we had to create the Confederation of the States because our founders knew specifically that they were about to sacrifice everything, life, fortune, sacred honor for their independence. But if they did not come together in a union, they would not maintain that independence for very long. So we had to declare our independence. We had to get for an alliance, and then we had to ensure our independence long-term by forming a confederation of the states. And in that, that is our independence, July 2nd. As a matter of fact, John Adams wrote a letter to his wife, Abigail, on July 3rd, declaring that July 2nd will be an epic day where Americans will celebrate this grand festival of their independence forever. And he talks about, you know, games and shows and pomps and, and uh, guns and, and feasts and illuminations from one end of the continent to the other. And uh, so they expected us to, to celebrate our independence on July 2nd. And that's exactly what we did until the late 1800s when the federal government decided to declare Independence Day July 4th. And there's also a, a long history there, uh, approximately 47 years of history, uh, no, 50, 37 years of history that creates a political environment in which the federal government can alter the day of independence and get away with it. So there's a lot of, a lot of misinformation, lots, lots of bad education, disinformation, and government propaganda that happens in that 37 years to change that date. Absolutely. And that's, I think that is one of the big things, you know, you, I have no problem with people celebrating Independence Day on the 4th of July, but I think the, the history for me of your country needs to be mm -hmm. shared. 
and it has to be pure. And it's not ideological. It's not, well, we have to, you know, reimagine it through right-wing eyes or left-wing eyes or, or national, whatever eyes you want to reimagine. This is the truth. You know, John Adams, you can look, you can research that letter to, to his wife, Abigail, and that's what he wanted. And that's what he saw. And the reason John Adams is pretty a big thing was because he was part of the, obviously, Thomas Jefferson is largely credited because he did kind of like 99% of the work. But John Adams was on that little board or panel that was given permission to say, hey, okay, go declare independence. So that's why his, he would have quite a, a natural say in the matter. But for me, yeah, so what, sorry. Yeah, sorry. So what we need to understand is that the Declaration of Independence is not the source of our independence. Because the Declaration of Independence is, you know, in America, we're teaching in our textbooks now that the Declaration of Independence was something that a bunch of rich, elite, white, old guys sat together in a pub and devised and invented, which is simply not true. Uh, our Declaration of Independence is, is the proclamation of a law passed by our Continental Congress. Anything, uh, something that is just as legally binding as anything that our current Congress does that's consistent with the Constitution. And then the declarations within the, the, the assertions within the Declaration of Independence are not inventions either. I teach a history class on the Constitution of America and I take it back to 1014 England. And I show you uh, from the very first unwritten agreement through five written charters through English legal history, the actual English Constitution, which by the way, the English people are not, are not taught they have a, a written constitution either, mm -hmm. but they do. And it consists of, well, at the time of our founding, consisted of five different documents that created the one constitution. And so I teach in what I call the genealogy of the constitution, these five written documents. And there are, and everything, everything from our Declaration of Independence to our Constitution, our Bill of Rights, are are sourced in those five documents, not just simply in principle, sometimes the very language themselves and verbatim. And so what we need to understand is that America was not founded on novel new principles designed by these old white guys who wanted to kick off their government and consolidate power to themselves to, to oppress minorities, because that's what we're teaching in the textbooks. But mm -hmm. what they did was, as, as, as our founders said over and over again, multiple references, is they wanted to preserve liberty. And they knew they couldn't do that without independence. Another sort of misconception in all of this is the idea that, you know, uh, Americans, uh, you know, they, they had the Tea Party and then they were like, yes, independence and yes, we're going to do this. And everybody was on board. And only that's simply not true. I mean, we're talking about 3% of a population at best who actually supported independence. And we're also talking about 95 years of protest and 45 years of war before we actually achieved full independence from Great Britain. Absolutely. And like the one thing I love about your founding is is just on, on that point, which I think is great to bring up, is is you very much changed the way you saw government. And I think that is one of the big changes in it, where you actually fundamentally, as you write, as you just kind of alluded to and said very right correctly so is where you spoke about that you declared your independence but you were speaking about natural rights and natural law that these are inherently from your creator whether that's god i'm a christian whether that's you know god of abraham isaac and jacob or whether that's um you know judaism god is similar whether it's from allah whether it's right. i would say if it's from like a stone across the street that you think this stone has special power 
the higher power. That's where they come from. And this fundamental idea is very novel, unique to America because... Well, not actually. Okay. It, it isn't actually. Um, what we did that was unique was to uh, create... What, the unique thing that we did was alter the English uh, liberty charters in two ways. First, we created a government that was, um, how, how do I put this, uh, that existed in separation of powers. Uh, the English uh, charters, the English constitutions created a separation of powers, but they always kept a king, which mm -hmm. inherently held an authority to write and enforce law at the same time. So our charters, our constitutions, both at the state and the federal level, uh, created a separation of power which exclusively rested in the hands of the legislature lawmaking part, uh, authority and limited the executive to being a, a, an enforcer of the law. So we, we, we didn't simply declare independent from Great Britain, we adhere, declared independent from kings. Now, what we, under, what we have to know is that the, the unique evolution of our government actually begins in 1014 with the Ethelred Agreement when the Anglo-Saxons created a new kind of monarchy called a limited monarchy where the government, the king's authority, was actually limited by the will of the people. Under the Ethelred Agreement, uh, Ethelred was chosen to be king by the people, and his power was limited to foreign affairs. He was to leave the shires alone to self-govern. And it's important to recognize that's our beginning because that's the foundation for our constitutional republic. Our founders, being of that legal heritage, said, yes, this is the best way. When we form this national government that we call these United States, we are going to make an agreement between the states to create this federal government in which the federal government's power is limited and defined and the purpose of their power is foreign affairs. And within our constitution, we took the Ethelred Agreement, we took everything that we learned from those five liberty charters, which by the, by the way, beginning in 1100, their purpose was to declare the natural rights of the people as being a limit of power on the king. So when you have a kingdom, what we discovered is that as long as you're holding a sword at the throat of the king, he'll agree to just about anything. But when you put down that sword, the king goes back to being kings and subjects go back to being subjects. And the, the written agreements mean nothing. So then you have to rebel and you have to, you know, hold swords and chop off heads and you have to start all over again, which we did five times before creating our constitution. And so what we said was the federal government through this constitution's authority is foreign affairs and the federal government will not have domestic authority in the affairs of the states. So all of that begins in 1014 for us. And it's actually the English limited monarchy development over 700 years that gives us the experiential foundation for Jefferson to even say, we hold these truths to be self-evident. He's not simply talking about biblical scripture or, or spiritual revelation. He's talking about 
the English history proving time and time again through every assertion of natural right by the people to limit the power of the king that there are certain things that have to be done in order to ensure the liberty of the people and limited power. Absolutely, and I agree with that. But the one thing I slightly differ is just on the, the rights of the, from your creator. Because the, the one thing from, and feel free to tell me if I'm wrong from reading world history, is one of the things that, that I believe America is exceptional is when you say that rights are from God, you're automatically saying they're from your creator, right? Mm -hmm. That they never up for discussion. You know, there's, there's, you can disagree on the, the, the rights. So I would say a simple one is free speech. There's, there should be no compelled, there should be nobody to say, you can't say that. Now, it might be offensive, it might be powerful, you mightn't be the best person for saying things, like, you know, because some things are jerkish and stuff like that. But there is no government to say that. Why? Because you've inherently, and in, as born as a person, as an individual, as a sovereign individual, it's your right that these are off limits. Now, we can debate whether you think guns are or, you know, the, the right, you know, the Fourth Amendment or the Fifth Amendment, the right to privacy. We can debate how many of them are in there. But you're the only nation that ever said, we have these rights, as, as Jefferson said, that are, you know, self-evident truths that are never up for discussion. Because guess what? Limited government is best. But, you know, if it comes to a point in time where 90% of the population says you can't say that, it doesn't matter. It's irrelevant what the population says. It's irrelevant whether the king has a sword at its neck or the king is all powerful. Why? Because it's inherently a right from your creator. You're born with it from an individual. And no other nation, in my, from my worry in world history, has ever said that. Well, the interesting thing is, is the English Liberty Charters that I'm referencing do declare that their rights come from God. The distinction is, is the error sown into the operation of their government of divine right. Meaning, yes, we recognize that our rights come from God. Yes, we recognize that we're putting these limitations on government based on our natural rights. That's where natural law all comes from in English law. This common law is natural law is the assertion that rights are given to us by God. And the English Liberty Charters do assert that as the authority to limit, the man's authority to limit the king is based on the fact that our rights come from God. So the thing that's unique is that in our constitution, uh, we established it. We established yes that our rights come from God, which is something that we had been establishing for 700 years uh, as British subjects. But we also established that as our rights, uh, government doesn't have the authority to regulate them, and that's the distinction I think that was made because the kings uh, errantly and there's many writings throughout the years. Uh, you know, you have. Uh, disputing that, I mean, John Locke's dispute of the assertion of, of divine right uh, under, under his monarch, and all of that comes from the fact that the people recognized that their rights were from God, that the uh, liberty charters recognized that their rights, rights were from God, but under, um, and, and it's just totally slipping my mind at the moment, um, uh, 16, hmm, might be Charles the uh, first. You have this big discussion now where uh, the king has hired philosophers to determine that yes, your rights come from God, but so does your king. So the king possesses a divine right to regulate your rights. And so what we did was we stimulate, we, we established a boundary that said no, uh, the king does not come from God, 
the king, uh, the executive comes from the vote of the people and that rights come from God and even government, including the president, are limited by the Constitution. So we established a supremacy of the Constitution to reflect the rights and the defense of those rights by the people that did not exist. So, to, so it, it, it may seem like a small distinction, but we can't take credit uh, for being the only ones that recognize that our rights come from God because that's part of the self-evident truth that Jefferson talks about is that they had been asserting for 700 years that their rights come from God, but the part that we are asserting that is that governments are instituted among men to secure those rights with no authority to redefine and regulate them. That's a really good point, and that's that. That is the, the next fundamental difference between, you know, every other nation that's ever existed and your nation is what the role of government is. So you very much redefine that role um, of going. No, your job is to to secure these rights, and that they again, whatever you. I always say to people, look, there is a certain idea about the, the founding of America, which is. So they're self-evident truths. We may disagree, you may agree with 100% of what I think, or 50% or 75%. But we're living in this world where everything is fluid, everything is interchangeable, everything is what we feel, everything's based on what is my opinion is. But there are certain things offhand that are self-evident, that are, are constant, that are, are foundational, and that are true. And that beauty of your feeling was that it said, no, right, the government is, no, rights are, from, are not from us. Therefore, the reason right. that's so important today is because you look at coronavirus when you have a government and again America's dealt with this like you better I know Americans don't like hearing this but thank God you did because you still have that independence streak but where I grew up in Ireland in, in Europe in England today Boris Johnson the Prime Minister if all of these decide you know what you have to stay at home why? Because government is all powerful and government gives you rights. You know, you have this on the gay marriage debate. You know, we have to go to government to get gay marriage legalized or to get abortion legalized. Everything is through the government and the government is all powerful and gets to say, yes, you have this right or no, you don't have this right. Or for your own safety, you you can no longer go in or you have to wear a mask for your own safety. That is a government role. Whereas America said, no, 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 that's not the role of government. The role of government is you have certain rights. And our job is to secure them. And guess what? That is our job. And if we don't do a good job, you have a right to alter and abolish it. You know, I think one of the distinctions also uh, between America, uh, one of the largest distinctions between uh, the Constitutional Republic of America and, and, and the Union of America and the rest of Europe is the creation of our constitutional republic as a confederation of states which contain each in themselves their own independent constitution establishing that our states are actually 50 countries that have joined together in a union who do not surrender their sovereignty do not surrender their power but merely delegate a small portion of it to the federal government and it's interesting because i hear you you know, explaining the, the perspective of the people uh, in, in uh, you know, the British people in, in, in Europe. Um, 
And, and it really saddens my heart because the same thing that has happened to the British people has happened in America. Um, the British government is not established as the government having all power, uh, and neither is the American government. But because we, like our, our brothers and sisters across the ocean, we've been educated in, in a wrong history for so long that the people don't actually understand how their government works and what established. I mean, in America, we are taught that our constitution is a living, breathing document, which doesn't actually mean what it says. In, in, in Britain, the people are taught they don't have a written constitution, therefore the government is an all-seeing power. Uh, both are lies because the English people established, like I told you, the English people started establishing a written constitution in 1100. And so the idea that it's not in writing is a complete lie. And our founders, being British, these are, this is not my interpretation or my, my invention. Our founders being British referred to the charters that I'm talking about, the, the five liberty charters, as the English Constitution. And they refer to it being the English Constitution in writing over and over again. And so what we are finding is what uh, one of our founders, Samuel Adams, said uh, very profoundly in both the British countries and in the American states. He said, no people will tamely surrender their liberties nor be easily subdued when knowledge is diffused and virtue is preserved. On the contrary, when the people become universally ignorant and debauched in their manners, they will sink underneath their own weight without the aid of foreign invaders. And that's what's happened in America. The American people are taught that the supremacy clause in the Constitu U.S. Constitution establishes that the federal government and federal laws are supreme to the states and to the people. They're taught that the states are equivalents of colonies in a federal republic. They are taught that, the, that America could not exist without the federal government and that the Constitution is an agreement between the states and the federal government. All of those things are complete and utter falsehoods. We are a union of states in which the states are the creators of the federal government, the states are the higher power, the federal government is the lower power, and the states never surrendered anything. They delegated things in order to, they have the authority to take back any power that the federal government is either abusing or misusing. And in that, all the power of the people is concentrated in its greatest degree at the state and local level. Meanwhile, we're distracted and, and completely confused by the siren song of Washington, D.C. when the American people should be more concerned about who their sheriff and their governor is rather than who the president of the United States is because that's where our power rests. And it all is altered by bad education. Absolutely. And I always say this, and people, especially on the right, hate when I say this. The beauty of your constitution, and we're not here to talk about the constitution, but the Declaration of Independence is, but the beauty of your constitution is a socialist president it would not be the worst thing that could happen to America if the constitution is enforced. Why? Because the president has no power. Right. They, they, you know, they have literally, don't read articles. I always say this to people, the pre this idea that, the, you know, I always find it funny and it annoys me 
but I always laugh when I get annoyed, is the idea of the president being the most powerful man in the world. If you read the Constitution, they're really not. They, you know, even the things that they have to they deal with, like in foreign policy and dealing with, you know, overseas people, they need the Senate to ratify any treaties and agreements. So it's not like they have sole discretion over that. So, like, right. you know, we need to change this linguistic of, oh, my God, like I say this all the the socialist president would be the worst thing to happen. If you have the Constitution and you have it enforced and it's strong and it's actually followed, it's not because they can do very limited to do yeah. in, in, if you actually have the government. Right. Um, and what's but, interesting is that just plain reading of the Constitution um, is maybe disputed now that you have this doctrine of interpretation. But you see, the Constitution is actually a contract, and contract law in America requires a contract to be applied, not interpreted. And the application of a contract through, and, and I am an attorney, I don't know if your listeners know that, I'm a constitutional attorney, uh, but contract law in America requires that if there is any vagueness in the contract or any confusion in the contract, the first place you go is not judicial interpretation. The first place you go is a uh, legal doctrine called the meeting of the minds, which is the intent and, as our founders called it, the tenor and commission under which the contract is created. And so the first place we go to understand how to properly apply the Constitution, because it's written in English, not Chinese, we don't need an interpreter, so to apply the Constitution, the first place we go for clarification is the words of those who drafted and ratified the Constitution. And they said over and over again that we created three branches of government. They are not co-equal. They, yes, they possess a co-equal authority to check and balance to protect their power, but they are not co-equal in power. Legislative branch contains the majority of the power because the legislative branch is the direct representation of the people and the states. The House of Representatives is the direct representatives of the people. The Senate is the direct representatives of the states. The president, who's not hired to be a representative of the people, but in hired to be, by constitutional standard, a representative of the states alone in foreign affairs has the next amount of power. The least powerful branch in all of government is the judiciary, who has neither... No, Brett Kavanaugh, I heard Brett Kavanaugh say it was the crown jewel of the Constitution. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. It's not. Well, it may be the crown jewel of the Constitution in that it establishes a, a way to challenge and check and balance executive orders and a way to challenge... Uh, and question legislative actions, but I don't think he meant it that way. Doesn't make it the most powerful. It's actually the least powerful. So, but we have flipped that completely upside down because of uh, uh, over a hundred and sixty years of bad education. We stopped teaching in America correct constitutional application and education in 1833. Uh, when we changed out the textbooks for our lawyers and eventually to all higher education, which would funnel down into our, you know, our elementary and, and secondary education systems. So 1833 was a big year for all of the error sown into America. And had that year 1833 happened, we, uh, you know, our, our civil war uh, would not have gone the way it did uh, slavery would have would have dissipated uh, without killing each other to to end slavery. 
um, we would have not we would not have reconstructed the union mentally without rewriting oh. the constitution and the american people wouldn't be led to believe that the federal government is supreme and we're ruled by an oligarchy of five okay so let's get back to the the, the beauty of the declaration of independence and i think one of the things i love and maybe this is just a, an irish guy just totally besotted and in love with your, the founding fathers because of what they stood for. But I actually believe, because I not I don't ever claim to be an expert or there's lots about American history I don't know, but I actually feel the more I read the founders, the more words certain take meaning onto me because I think you can really see into their soul. And one of the things that really pees me off is this mantra of, well, you know, George Washington, I hear you talking about me. He was a slaveholder and, you know, Jefferson slept with, you know, his slaves and they're all racist and had wooden teeth. The Declaration of Independence proves this falsehood in my eyes because of two things. The idea of it, let's, let's take that at face value. They are these racist slaveholders who literally hate black people. That's who they are. Name the one person Today, David Duke, the KKK, ever who you think of as the really real white supremacists, that would put their name to the following statements. All men are created equal. Who would write that? Bearing in mind also, and you can you'll 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 probably know this better than I do because you know you seem to know a lot more about the the, the writings from a thousand AD in, in Britain, but the reason I also say the follow-up, which is never ever shared anywhere, is you take that, so that why would a racist write that all men are created equal? That fundamentally goes around everything they believe. But secondly, if they wanted to fudge this, if they didn't believe it, if they were like, oh, I don't know if all men are created equal, mm, maybe, yes, possibly, let's fudge it. Let's use the language of the day from the Mike McCarthy. They would have included all free men are created equal. And that would have totally negated. They didn't do that. They said, no, all men are created equal. How do we actually make sense to people and true education that the founders, were they perfect? No, they were sinners. Again, I'm a Christian. I, I don't know whether you're a Christian or not. They were sinners. They were flawed. They, they made a few mistakes. But ultimately, they were not racist. That No racist would use these words. Well, you know, I mean, the argument is that they were lying to continue an oppressive society, which is absolutely not true. And how you prove that is you put down the textbooks and you re-pick up their writings. Uh, we actually teach American history. We actually teach the Constitution and the U.S. government at a website called libertyfirstuniversity.com. And at libertyfirstuniversity.com, we have a class where we teach, my husband and I teach together, called Slaver and the American Founders. And what we do is we walk through the very words of those who created our Constitution, who declared that independence, who fought for our liberty, to show how the independence was necessary to end slavery in America. The first thing you have to understand is the political situation. Um, the, the colony of Georgia was established as an anti-slave colony. Uh, Virginia and, and uh, Maryland, while colonies attempted to end slavery in America, or within their colonies, all were met with threats of military invasion and economic sanction by the British government because the British government uh, relied on the commerce of slavery 
mandating slavery both financially and legally on the American colonists. So it was against the law to not have slavery in America, in the American colonies. And so we begin with the British government mandating this, which is the importance of the Declaration of Independence. The only way the American colonies were ever going to end slavery in the American colonies was to cease being colonies of Great Britain and be independent sovereign governments so that they could operate to declare uh, an end to slavery. Uh, one of the fallacies that most people in the world even believe is that slavery was a southern versus northern thing, which is not true. Our founders often say that, uh, said during the creation of our Constitution and that uh, even New York and Connecticut still had a large number of slaves. And so we have to understand politically slavery was mandated on the colonies. Economically, they'd become addicted to that commerce. And so to put an immediate end to slavery would have in, in conjunction with the uh, expense and sacrifice of resources to declare independence so they could get rid of slavery would have destroyed these fledgling states before they even got started. And also a, an immediate, and this is not me just making this up, and this is not me writing because some historian wrote it in a book. This is me telling you what they who wrote the Constitution themselves said, that if they had formed a union in which slavery was immediately abolished, they would not have had the, the union exist of 13 states. Because there were the Southern, um, let's think it was uh, South Carolina, well, Carolina, because they hadn't actually split at the time. So you would have Carolina, uh, South Carolina, North Carolina, and um, uh, part of, um, um, anyway, a, th a third state that's just left my brain, who were going to refuse to end slavery immediately because economically they could not do it. And so in that case, these states would not have joined the union, which means even though they would have had their independence, they would have been separate countries. And the fear was if we don't have everybody in the union, but we are bordering these countries that have maintained slavery, what we're doing is establishing an instability. They will be leaking slavery slaves into our states. They will come into our states and capture people for their own slaves. They will get foreign alliances to maintain this slavery. And without creating a situation where slavery would be abolished over time, giving them time to wean themselves from this economic addiction, we would actually never create a possibility that slavery would end in America everywhere. And so that's why we had to make certain time-sensitive compromises within the Constitution to end slavery. And it's why we know from their own words when they said, oh, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal and endowed by their creator, right? All man. And by the way, we have, I don't know if you're aware, I'm sure you're, you're a local guy, you, you travel around here, so you're aware um, there's this big movement to declare that the Declaration's reference to all men means women were not included, mm -hmm. uh, which is absolute fallacy um, in its ignorance of mm -hmm. grammar 
and mm -hmm. history and everything with the etiology of or etymology of language. So uh, once again, one of that Samuel Anderson of things about ignorant, the word man is for mankind, which includes both genders. Absolutely. And just to back up your point, just to really emphasize everything you've just said, if you go look at one of Thomas Jefferson's first drafts of the Declaration of Independence, mm -hmm. he, and if you, I've actually seen a copy of it because my boss, Ben Beck, has it, and it's an amazing thing. I remember I cried when I saw it, but there's one of the, the euphrotations against the king was, mm -hmm. and he highlighted it, a Christian king where he talks about slavery and to divide the states. That wasn't in the, the actual text of the Declaration right. of Independence. Why? Because whether you like it or not, we can all, it's always easy to be Monday back quarterback, kind of go, oh, you know what? If, if only if I was quarterback on, on Sunday, you know, against the Colts, I wouldn't have thrown that Hail Mary. I would have thrown this ball short. Anyway. Yeah, it's great. Everyone can play Monday back morning quarterback. They were on the ground. They understood that they needed the 13 states or the 13 colonies as they were. And if they didn't have the 13 colonies, guess what? What we're having this discussion now would be null and void because England would have got involved. They would have divided states. They would have pitted state against state. Kind of, I see they're the problem. You see, they want. You see, the reason they're against slavery is not because they're all men created equal. They just want to hurt you commercially. They're jealous of you. The king would have done that. They would have had people involved. And as you said earlier on, correctly, you know, three percent of the people were actually pro-revolution who wanted to actually do stuff. You would have had that division. You would have never gotten off the ground and you would have never changed the world. And look at all the, the change you've changed the world in, in healthcare, in technology. We're having this conversation over Zoom. All the things that have come, they don't happen or maybe they happen at a much later or slower period if America and that idea of America isn't isn't founded. But one of the other things I love, sorry, go ahead. I was to say just two things based on, on, on what you just said is, uh, you know, what's interesting is that Parliament and King tried to pit that division. You know, they they armed, um, they went into the plantations owned by the Loyalists and offered to arm the slaves uh, to come against their masters. Uh, but the distinction was in their promise for, uh, you know, arms to take down your master. It was all based on vengeance. Uh, yeah. We actually, the American states as they were, offered uh, arms to the current slaves, but said, if you fight for independence, you will be a free man forever. Uh, Great Britain said, we'll arm you to come against your master, but when we take over, you're going to go back to being a slave again. And so what's interesting is you had mentioned that the Declaration of Independence uh, didn't say all free men. But I want to point out that even if it did, it wouldn't make it a racist document because there were a large number of free black men and women in America. The first black man to hold office, who was the mayor of his town named Wentworth Cheswell, was in 1768. Uh, we have, uh, I have a class that I teach at libertyfirstuniversity.com called Forgotten Founders, where I go through a list of, a short list that could fill volumes of men and women, uh, minorities who were absolutely not, not just existing during our, our revolution, not just existing during our independence, but actually free, born free, fighting and essential to the, uh, through, to the achievement of our independence. So absolutely. even the inclusion of the turds free men wouldn't have made the Declaration of Independence. Oh, no, absolutely. 
yeah. But, I agree. I'm just using that as a real kind of that was the language of the day, right? But to really hammer really the point good, home. Yeah, but that's a really good teaching moment, though, because most Americans believe that there were no free minorities at that mm -hmm. time. Go research Chris Bigaddix. Yeah, you, you know, you'll find out a lot about him. A lot of stuff happening. I mean. Mm -hmm. Crispus Attucks, the first man, the first martyr for liberty, the first mm -hmm. adult martyr for liberty. Mm -hmm. But even in his past, there's some question about whether he was actually freed or not. So mm -hmm. you have to learn who these people are. Wentworth Cheswell, George Middleton, Ned Hector, Peter Salem. Um, you know, all of these people, and I'm just uh, giving you just a few mm -hmm. who were actually... Oh, no, there's loads. So, yeah. um, you could actually write, we used to teach that, uh, history. There's actually a book that we used in school about this thick, that was just an encyclopedia of all the black and, uh, women and men who fought for our independence, uh, prior to, and that were free prior to the Emancipation mm -hmm. Proclamation. And then when, um, one of our presidents, Woodrow Wilson became president of the United States. I love that guy. <laughs> Woodrow Sorry. Wilson, the most racist president we've ever had, mm -hmm. uh, took that book out of our school systems, out of our curriculums, and poof, people were taught lies again. Yeah, you want to solve America's racism problem? You know, make him, vote him to be, if not the worst, you know, there's a few contenders to be the worst, but, you know, pretty much in the top five of worst presidents of all time and worst dirtbag human pieces of scum. And I'm a Christian, I try not to insult people, but yeah. I, I, I can't bite my tongue when it comes to Woodrow Wilson. But one of the other things I love about the Declaration of Independence uh, is we, especially today, I think it's so relevant, is, again, looking into the soul of your founders was... Everyone today, if you talk on the left or the right, everyone wants to talk about their rights. I have a right to this. I have a right to guns. I have a right to healthcare. I have a right to condoms. I have a right to abortion. One of the things I love about your founders was because, again, maybe this is just me. I, I openly admit this is my opinion. But deeping, deep, looking deep into the souls, they understood that rights without responsibilities makes a, is, creates a vacuum. And historically, that vacuum is always government. And they said not once but twice what the responsibilities were for you. They said about, you know, you have a right to alter and abolish your government. Great, that's your right. But you have a responsibility to institute new government. And later on they said you have a right and a duty to throw off government and provide new guards for your security. They spoke about rights and responsibilities. And that is so missing from our discourse today. How do we get back to that point? Well, the first thing we have to do is we have to teach what is the difference between... Uh, a, a right and a benefit so there's a big difference between a right and a benefit i actually have a i think it's a 10 minute video uh on youtube that teaches the difference between a right and a benefit and then you have to understand then you have to teach within that that rights are yes given to you but a right includes a duty a responsibility and then you also have to teach that inherent in the gift of a right is the responsibility to prosper that for future generations, which is something that our founders knew because they did what they did not for themselves. If they had done what they had done for themselves, they'd have created the kingdom of America. Most people don't know that people were begging George Washington to be king. So we were very close to being the kingdom of America. And so what we have to understand is that uh, 
we have a responsibility, our founders articulated in this way, that they were creating a constitutional republic, and I quote, for ages and millions yet unborn. And so we have to first understand that the unborn possesses a liberty worth dying for, and that we have a responsibility to prosper that liberty. Now for Christians, that responsibility ought to be easily understood, easily trained because the Bible teaches that we are to love our neighbor as ourselves. And the Bible also teaches that liberty is a gift from God and that God requires us not to hide and preserve those gifts, but to prosper those gifts. Because when there is a uh, reckoning, when God returns or you stand before him, you will be answering for the things that you have done or not done and how you've handled the gifts he's given you. And so we have a responsibility as Christians to not simply you know, just keep hold of the liberties that have been given to us by our past generations. But we have a, a responsibility to God himself to create a prosperity of liberty, not a prosperity of economics, but a prosperity of liberty. So future generations actually possess greater liberty than we have today. That is, a, that is something we in America have failed to do. We do not have greater liberty than we started off. We have less liberty. And with each new presidential administration, whether they be Republican or Democrat, Americans have whittled away at the liberties that have been put in their hands uh, by our founders, creating actually greater environment for servitude than greater environment for liberty. And so that's part of what we have to undo to get back on the path to greater liberty for our children. But again, as, Matt, as Samuel Adams said, that has to be something that comes through knowledge and virtue. finish up with a because i know we're running out of time i could talk to you for hours about this and <laughs> but i want to finish up to, with a couple of key points and uh, for me one is again a full disclosure uh, maybe this is just me being in love but i love the layout of your declaration of independence just a couple of quick facts for people and then i want to talk to you about the, why i think the layout is so important and especially today that people can learn especially if you're in politics or you're in life or you're in christianity you can learn this big point from your family fathers but the layout of the declaration of independence it's 1338 words the king is used twice british is used twice and a higher power is used four times put those into priority but the second thing, and the reason when I was learning about your founding documents, one of the reasons I loved about your Declaration of Independence and why it's better than other declarations, the Irish, you know, different declarations of independence I've read through history is you do something that no one else does. And it's why I call it your mission statement. Every other nation goes, you know what? And it's usually against the British, to be fair, because they had a really bad record. Everyone hates the British. It's a popular theme. Um, but you know what? We've thought, we've suffered these grievances. We've been we've been we've been trampled on. We've been had our stuff taken. We have all these lists of poor me, poor me, poor me. And guess what? We want to divorce you, England. Get out of our country. That's what every other nation does. Or if it's not England, it's another country. Your founding fathers, Thomas Jefferson, been the key ones. Said, you know what? I know that future generations will only read the top of the article and the end of the article, and that's where I'm going to put the emphasis. I'm going to tell you what I'm for. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. I'm going to tell you who I am, what I stand for, and then I will list my grievances, and then I'll talk to you about a few other things. And the reason this is so important to remember is today is that you listen to anyone who knows history, who doesn't know much about history. I guarantee you they can verb yourself. Oh, all men are created equal. We have certain rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Pledge each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. Don't not send people. Name one thing they had against the king. Name one of the euphrotations. They can't tell you. Even someone who studies it and who knows it a lot, I would struggle. I give you the general gist, but I can't list them off word for word. Mm-hmm. You know, I quote it to you. Why? Because I think the beauty of it is telling you what you're for. And that is something that is sorely lacking in this course. That everyone is, I don't like them. I don't like socialists. I don't like communism. I don't like, mm-hmm. what are you for? Don't know. Mm-hmm. I'm for this. Tell people what you're for. And by the way, just I know this is off topic, but just to really emphasize it, those same people who have very limited history know I have a dream. That isn't me telling you I hate, I'm a black pastor telling you I've been I've been treated really bad by my government and by white people. That's me telling you I have a dream and what I am for. That is what we are solely lacking in society. Thoughts? Well, you know, I I I in to share the love that you have, and I'm, and that's really what got started me doing what I'm doing. I was actually fired by the government for teaching the Constitution and our founding principles on my own time. And so it was the love that I had for our founders that reunited, reignited my love for America and, you know, gave us the motivation along with our faith in God and understanding that liberty is a gift from God. Uh, that uh, to to simply say you know we are not going to comply with these with my boss's demands and uh, because we're dealing with freedom of speech now it's on my own time freedom to assemble on my own time that sort of thing and and resulted in the fire my my loss of of a job as an attorney for the state of Florida but uh, I I think that these documents are amazing. Like I said, the Lee resolution provides the first and second, the first and last paragraphs of the Declaration of Independence. Uh, they are the preamble to uh, our, well, yeah, like you said, our mission statement, what our rights are, what government is created for, right? So uh, even in knowing that, we, in saying what we're for, there's such a dearth of edu- proper education. Americans don't know what pursuit of happiness means. Uh, they think that Thomas Jefferson just coined that phrase, which is absolutely not true. Thomas Jefferson learned from John Trenchard what that meant. Uh, it also wasn't in the original writing. Yeah, well, because it wasn't as complete in the original writing. Pursuit of happiness is actually a better phrase. It mm-hmm. creates less confusion than the original writing was when you understand what pursuit of happiness meant, which mm-hmm. is what the educated people and, and informed people of that day understood because Trenchard was so widely read, even even by the layman in the street. Nobody had a question about what the pursuit of happiness meant. Everybody knew Trenchard. He had been writing since 1722, uh, and in his, his teachings were what, what, what built the fuel for our independence. Uh, And then you have uh, that the statement that governments are instituted among men deriving their just power from the consent of the governed. That's not just simply a mission statement. That's, that's, That's a power parameter. It teaches the only reason government exists is to secure your rights. And the only proper government is a just government that operates through your consent. 
And in America, our consent is in writing through the Constitution. So any government in America, whether it be a state constitution or a federal government constitution that operates contrary or outside the, the Constitution, is operating outside our consent, contrary to our consent, is therefore an unjust government. And so these things are amazing. But because we don't teach that list either, uh, we see the repetition of the very government that our founders declared independence from, and then our textbooks teach that our independence was over a tax on tea, which is an absolute fallacy. Uh, as a matter of fact, you have to get to the 17th grievance before you ever see the mention of taxes. And you, you know, the grievances against the king are what we see grievances we ought to have grievances against our government today. Um, my a lot of the key term is there is he, he refused to give assent to his law and the parliament being called and key time. So they were a lot of the they were a lot my, of the big ones. My favorite one is he is erected to a multitude of new offices and sent hither forth, forth officers to eat out our substance. That is how we do how we should define or how we should view regulatory agencies today that's exactly the purpose of the regulatory agency and so what we have is a situation where a document is complete you know the grievances it was a legal document by the way required by clause 61 of the magna carta to shut down the british government to say that we were nothing but a bunch of savage i mean they were calling us savages we'd become savage like the natives so we were not a bunch of savages who were revolting against the government and seditionists so the declaration of independence was necessary to satisfy clause 61 of the of the legal requirement of clause 61 of the magna carta to prove that we were satisfying the law of great britain that we were not law breakers that we were not actually revolting against the government it was our government that had revolted against the english constitutions and so by listing these grievances satisfying clause 61 of the magna carta we are eliminating the argument or at least the veracity of the argument that we were law-breaking savages uh i, I just just as a little side note um, yes from the history of the Constitution that I teach, uh, called the genealogy of the Constitution, the five liberty charters that create our our uh, our Declaration of Independence, our Constitution, our Bill of Rights. The fourth document is called the Grand Remonstrance of 1641, and it comes from a trial on King Charles I, and uh, to which justified his beheading. But the preamble to the Grand Remonstrance of 1641 reads, the root of all this mischief we find to be a malignant and pernicious design, subverting the fundamental laws and liberties of our kingdom. And so what they were saying, and when you understand the history that I teach back to, to you know, 1041, is they were, what they're really saying is, we've been watching government for 600 years now, and we're beginning to notice a pattern that, that, government's exercise of power is purposed to overturn our rights and liberties while increasing the power of government. And in that document, in their list of grievances, because it was a document pursuant, just like our Declaration of Independence to Clause 61 of the Magna Carta, this document lists the grievances against the king, and they can be summarized, uh, the high points. I mean, there are many of them. Yeah. But just to give you an idea, it can be summarized like this. Corruption of the court system. Infiltration of foreign law. 
diminishing the property rights of the people, which were established by law uh, in 1100, but all by natural law since the beginning, uh, uh, taking control of the church, creating fiat money to manipulate the people through the monetary system, and disarming the people while the government remained armed. One of the grievances against Charles was that he was taking the land from the landowners unlawfully in, in under the excuse of resource preservation and depopulation. They said that he was destroying liberty by taking them off the gold and silver standard and creating brass fiat. And these were things that caused them to call him treasonous and chop off his head. So Solomon was absolutely correct when he said there is nothing new under the sun because human nature never changes. And so we have to learn from these historical events and the stands through history for liberty if we're going to be successful in the future. Absolutely. And I think one of the big things um, uh, is how you do it. And one of the things I love about, you know, it's ingrained in your culture as well, but the sign off for the Declaration of Independence. We pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. Again, if you look into the word, Jefferson, especially Jefferson, he had a great pen. If you go read some of his writings, it, it's it's just, it's unbelievable. The guy was, the guy was, how should we say, the guy was talented, right? But he, he didn't, he wasn't a fool. He wasn't just throwing words in, ah, you know, I put that in, that sentence, right? Why was honor sacred? You know, we knew life was important. We knew that fortunes were important because, again, these were all rich men. But most importantly was that honor is sacred. And this is emphasized again in, in your culture where, again, it's not so much today, but in the old fashioned days where if someone was a traitor or someone was, you know, a bit of a two-sided person, oh, he's a Benedict Arnold. Yeah. The honor is so sacred. This is a big thing from American point of view, but also Christianity point of view. We don't seem to act with honor anymore. We, we seem to act as if, you know, I say, I say this to a group of church people at the weekend, I kind of go, they're saying, you know, how do we rebuild the church and art? How do we do this? I kind of go, you know, there's certain things you need to do. But one of the things I said is, you know, if you, uh, if you had said to a Christian going in the church, you, if you stab your mother in the back, you'll be successful. How many people would do it? A lot of them, they said, there you go. We have no honor. We do, our word means nothing. How many people would shake your hand and go, I'll do that for you by Monday. And then guess what? Monday comes and you never hear from the first of it. Honor is sacred. And we need to get back to character matters. Well, if you want to rebuild the church, you've got to get back to God. And that's part of it. Oh, I agree. Church. That was part of it. But that was just yeah. one of the things. Our, our churches replace human understanding with with divine understanding. You know, but um, the beauty of Jefferson is that he was a scholar that learned from others uh, that life, fortune, and sacred honor was actually something that John Adams wrote in 1765 about their forefathers. So John Adams wrote, uh, liberty must at all hazards be supported. We have a right to it derived from our maker. But if we had not, our fathers have bought and purchased it for us at the expense of their ease, their estates, their pleasure, and their blood. And so I'm not asserting that Jefferson got that language from, from John, uh, John Adams in any way, but what I'm telling you is, is that there was a common understanding that the prize is liberty and it comes at a price. And that price, because the prize is eternal, the price is also eternal. And so they had watched through generations of, of, of forefathers fighting against kings for 
for uh, life, liberty, and all of the matters of pursuit of happiness, that this was also the price that they would have to pay so that their future generations would be able to live in a liberty-built society. Absolutely. And that brings me perfectly onto my next point, because again, today we've, we've so strayed from our founding principles and why I think, and it frustrates me as an Irishman, I know people say you don't have a right to be, but I see how great your nation is, or was, and how much you've strayed from it. But today you hear this kind of theme of, I just want to win, I just want to win, I just want to win. I want to share three quick stories with you, which you'll know, and you can, you can add any ones to your ones. Some of your founders, those 56 men who signed that Declaration of Independence, mm -hmm. tell me what winning looks for this guy. John Hart was a farmer in New Jersey, had loads of land, was very rich, was very, you know, would be the elite bourgeoisie of the day, would be the millionaires and billionaires. When he signed the Declaration of Independence, armed troops went to his home, they took possession of his land, they took possession of his wife, they arrested his wife, and he basically lost everything. Francis Lewis was made a load of money. He was an international businessman. Um, he basically, uh, he was locked up. Um, troops were at his, uh, sorry, troops were at his home. They had an orders to execute him in the town square and basically went into hiding and was never, you know, really known again. And the last one is Richard Stockton, who was a lawyer, sir, you know, learned law in Princeton, was basically on the Supreme Court basically never heard of the case, was locked up, starved, tortured, fortune stolen. And in his final days, basically, I'm, I'm condensing down a big story here, but in his final days relied on charity from his friends. What did winning look for them? We need to remember that when you're standing for right, guess what? Sometimes you will lose, but society is better off. Now. And look at what we have because of their sacrifice. And we need to be thankful for them. How do we teach those stories, you know, especially in the context of not everyone gets to win when you stand for liberty? You know, it, it, they are important stories to teach. And the first of that is uh, a man named James Otis Jr., who was actually the first founder to stand in 1760 and 1761. Uh, when everybody else was operating in secret under pseudonym, James Otis Jr. was the first one to stand publicly in his own skin under his own name and challenge the government. So much so, he changed uh, the the lands, the political and, and, the, and the social and the spiritual landscape of America, that those men who signed the Declaration of Independence declared that James Otis Jr. was the midwife to liberty. And so how do you, how do you start teaching them? You just start teaching them. You start teaching them not as a bunch of dead people in memorizing dates. You teach them as an interesting living person who had the courage and the fortitude to make the difference. And so that's, you know, I mean, that's why I have the class that I teach called Forgotten Founders. And my husband has a class called uh, More Than Victims, America's Hidden Black History. So we have history classes at libertyfirstuniversity.com where we go through and we actually teach these stories so that people can begin to, again, relate and understand that America is the country of all people. And which is why the history has been hidden, by the way. The history is hidden because the Marxist narrative wants is division. The, mark, the success to Marxist takeover of any country is division. So you have to remove these people from history, these forgotten founders from history, so that 
uh, you can teach generations of people that they are not who they are, uh, who their, their country doesn't include them, that they are not part of America, that in the beginning they were excluded and therefore they, the America is not for you. But if you teach uh, Sybil Luddington, if you teach Mercy Otis Warren, if you teach Deborah Sampson, if you teach uh, Wentworth Cheswell, if you teach uh, uh, James Armistead Lafayette, if you teach George Middleton, then you cannot believe that America was built outside of uh, women and minorities and that they were built by them and for them. Absolutely. And there's so much there we could discuss and I'd love to, but I just want to finish up with two points because I know we're running out of time. First off, simple. One is funny and one is actually serious, but I'll make it out as a joke. But one really good point that I think is forgotten. One of the things that I, you know, I some say, why is the Declaration of Independence so special? Because your revolution was the fundamental opposite to every other nation. You look around today at the revolutions that are going on. You know, you look at places like Cuba, Iran. It's always, and I mean this in the greatest respect, it's always the people at the bottom of society who have absolutely nothing to lose. Like their life, apart from going to prison, can't get much worse and have everything to gain. Your founders were the exact opposite. Those people who signed the Declaration of Independence, when because there was a lot of issues over tax, they could have paid the molasses tax, they could have paid the stamp tax, they could have paid the tea tax, they could have paid every tax under the sun, and their standard of life would have been pretty much the same. Why? Because they were the millionaires and billionaires. But they said, you know what, we have everything to lose, but we must do it. And I think we're in a culture where we've become so, we hate the rich, we hate the powerful, we hate the elite automatically. I think there's something that we need to remember that let's judge a man by the content of his character not the you know not the content of their or color of their skin or how much money they have in their checkbook because your 56 founders were rich were powerful had stature had everything you'd want in society but risked it all and i think that's such a great and powerful story that we can't forget you know um um alexa de tocqueville commented on the difference between the american revolution and the french revolution and i think that that's something that we could learn from um, because the, the difference is exactly what you're speaking of. And he simply described it as this, uh, Americans were fighting for liberty, uh, French were fighting for freedom. They are two different things. Uh, freedom is lawlessness. It is the freedom to do as you please regardless of how that affects other people. Liberty is not freedom, they're not synonymous. And liberty is actually freedom plus morality. The recognition that I am created free to make any choices that I want, but there are some things that I will choose to do, to not do because I know they will harm someone else. Built on the biblical principle of love your neighbor as yourself or the secular you know, kind of uh, wording of that as uh, the golden rule, you know, do unto others as you had them do unto you. And so we built America on the principle of self-governance through love your neighbor, where the rest of the world's revolutions are about, you know, myself. Absolutely. Last point. And I make this point all the time. And I'm hoping you're, the fact you're an American, you should echo these. Sentences. Hopefully you'll give a better sentiment than I will. Is it July 4th or Independence Day? The July 4th is the day that we... No, no, is, it, is that what you say to people? 
Uh, you say happy 4th of July oh, or no, do you say happy a, independence? Yeah, yeah. No, no, no. That's a huge pet peeve for me. Everybody in the world has a 4th of July. No, we, mm -hmm. we celebrate on the 4th of July our Independence Day. So in my circles, we say happy Independence Day. But and you know, why is it such a big circles, deal? In my circles, they believe that they know that July 2nd is Independence Day. So <laughs> we, <laughs> we sometimes say happy Declaration Day. <laughs> okay. But why is it such a big deal? Because I just, my opinion, and you finish it off, it's, it's diminishes the day you oh, don't yeah, you know absolutely. you don't go around it becomes about a date that's completely separate from a history and we know that's the consequence because a good portion of the american population has no idea what they're not what even what they're celebrating on the fourth of july much less who they declared independence from and i don't know if you're aware of this or not the federal government declaring july 4th as independence day uh, has just turned around and last week declared Juneteenth. a new National Independence Day as Juneteenth. And so because the American people have no idea the history and the significance of July 4th and what it meant for America, uh, many Americans are willing to just set aside that day and go for whatever new holiday the federal government wants to declare. Yeah, we have so much work to do. You know, we have so much teaching to do, especially, you know, like people like Martin Luther King, they all knew the importance of Independence Day. And I think hopefully this show gives people, you know, a good taste of it. And I'd say go do your own research. Where, where can people find you? Because you, you have your own show on YouTube. I know it's, uh, is it 5 p.m. Eastern? Uh, 6 p.m. 6 p.m. Eastern, 6 sorry. Eastern. Yep, 6 p.m. Eastern, Monday through Friday. And we're on YouTube, Twitch, uh, DLive, uh, Facebook, and anywhere you want to find me on any platform, if I'm there, you can find it through my name. Just search chrisannhall.com, K-R-I-S-A-N-N-E, and my last name is Hall, H-A-L-L. So search that name, Chris Ann Hall, anywhere you go. The main website is chrisannhall.com, and then our main teaching site is libertyfirstuniversity.com. And so we have lots of resources available to help people learn, to help people understand, uh, you know, the significance of history, how we learn from history, and how to defend truth uh, to convince and convert future uh, found Americans and future foundations uh, to the principles of liberty instead of the principles of government. Absolutely. And thank you so much for joining me. America, we finish this show the way we do each and every week by saluting you, the American people. Chris Ann said the sentiments I spoke to a few minutes ago. I echoed it, but in a different way. America is great because Americans are good. You're not great because of the Republicans or the Democrats or Trump or Biden. You're great because of each and every one of you. And each and every one of you doing ordinary things will make an extraordinary difference and make America the 21st century beacon of hope that we all need. We need to re imagine and re-estimate and reapply the founding principles of America because that idea is still powerful. It still can change lives. And we are we are living in dark times. I'm not gonna lie, government is growing. But guess what? The the kryptonite to government is the idea of freedom. And the Declaration of Independence is a great start. Read it, enjoy it, embrace it, teach it to your kids most importantly. And I hope after all you're doing all that, you have a have a burger, have a beer and have a great independence day. Until next week, uh, Saturday at 12 noon Eastern, have a beautiful and blessed week. Freedom versus freebies. This is Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn on the Blaze Radio Network.